and welcome to Happy Place, the podcast that takes these cold, dark January days and injects a little sunshine into your mind. I'm Fern Cotton and today, oh my word, what a joyous experience we have for you. It's the actor Natalie Dormer. She of The Hunger Games, Game of Thrones, Picnic at Hanging Rock and now Happy Place. My craft is an internal process within me that helps me live with myself on a day-to-day basis and explore this beautiful, joyful, also terrifying and scary, sometimes dark world that we live in. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today. And now here's the show. Natalie, thank you so much for popping over. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. So we met in a strange way because obviously I'd seen you on TV and in pre, you know, loads of movies, but the first time I saw you up close and personal in action was when I saw you on stage mm-hmm. in Venus in Fur. And to say I was blown away was an understatement. I was just like jaw open, mesmerised by your performance. And I didn't know that you'd come until the next day because I think you and Jesse, one of you Instagrammed it yes, or something, yes. right? And uh, David, my co-star, came in and said, you never guess who was in last night. And I was like, man, I see her in my local bakery all the yes. time. I wish you'd pop backstage <laughs> and said hello because it's starting to get a bit awkward. <laughs> but the weird thing was maybe the day after or a couple of days after, I then, saw you in the street and I thought, oh, sod it. I'm just going to run over and be a nerd and say I thought you were brilliant and um, yeah, I was walking the dog right I was about to walk the dog yeah and it was so lovely because um you never know how that's going to turn out I could have run over and you could have been like sorry I'm walking my dog please leave me alone but of course I just had this Natalie Natalie and I'm just like (laughs) I think I reckon it was all happening in milliseconds I'm like I think I recognize that voice but and then you're coming towards me and you're like I've just left the kids in the car (laughs) (laughs) parent of the year (laughs) I'm like wow this I'm so glad Fern finally said hello. I know it's been so, but it's been really lovely because we live near each other and we see each other, as you said, in our local bakery. Yeah. There's so many things I want to talk to you about. As someone who isn't an actress, I am constantly in awe of that art form and really intrigued by it because. Although there is sort of, I guess, an element of performance with what I do. Yeah, definitely. What you guys do just seems to me next level. And I find it really inspiring. And watching you on stage was a perfect example of that. I was just sort of blown away by all of it. You know, the 
ridiculous amounts of scriptural learning and remembering and the performance and the emotion behind of it. And that's what I want to kind of talk to you about today. Yeah. So going back to the start, at what age did you think, I want to do that? That is the, the gig for me. Well, I just... Um, I was an only child till I was about like seven and a half. My sister turned up when I was about, you know, um, about seven and a half. And uh, I never, for some reason, I never played with dolls. I didn't like have dolls that talked to each other. I had this dressing up box and I would, that my family would sling different, you know, uh, discarded clothes and, and stuff that they didn't want anymore in. And I would just dress up instead and like basically talk to myself. <laughs> disturbed child <laughs> and I would like just play out the stories myself physically but I never really thought of acting as a job I just like loved submerging myself in stories uh, my grandparents used to read to me a lot I used to love watching films you know be it like bed knobs and broomsticks or mm. Mary Poppins or Gulliver's Travels and um and you know I loved books I love stories my grandma was into amateur dramatics so I used to like go to her shows and I suppose I just sort of loved storytelling in one form or another. And then I was a dancer first and foremost. So, um, like, I mean, we all get dragged to ballet, maybe most of us do, mm-hmm. to see if we like it when we're three or four. Um, and I hated ballet. But I loved jazz and I loved modern. And I danced till I was 17. Same here. There you go. Yeah. So when you Very reference, similar. like, performing mm. in front of other people... The genesis of that within me would have been dance, um, which when you look at the heels that I wore in Venus and Fur on that rake stage, oh, yeah. you're like, oh, thank, like that way old training yeah. kicks in. Big time. And then I did like public speaking at school. I was on the public speaking team and I intended to go to university, but I knew by then that I wanted to be an actor. So uni was kind of just like, get the degree because everyone tells you get the degree. But it didn't kind of work out that way. I was just like, what am I doing anyway? Because I think, you know, in my early teens, I sort of mid-teens, I admitted to myself that what I really wanted to be was an actor. And then, yeah, started applying for drama school. And that's, it happened in degrees. There was never a a eureka moment. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't a, you know... Well, there was actually when I was sitting um, on one of my favourite hills on the outskirts on like the Berkshire Oxfordshire border near Maple Durham. I dropped an A-level grade that had lost me my place at university and I sort of sat crying on the top of this hill (laughs) gazing out over the Thames Basin going, oh, F it, I want to be an actor anyway. So let's just start applying for drama school. It's funny how sometimes you you get to a a shitty moment or a rock bottom moment and then that's where you have those real fuck it moments. Like, well, there's nothing to lose. Yeah. I'm just going to do what feels right. Yeah, you've experienced that. Oh my God, so many times. In so many ways, like in a personal sense, but certainly a career sense as well, where I've felt a bit lost and just gone, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm going to stop worrying about what everyone else is saying or whatever I feel I should do. You do. So that first moment on stage as a dancer... Mm. How did that feel? Can you remember walking out onto a stage at any point and and how that felt to you? It's like, I don't know what it's like when you start a show or something, but it's a pure refinement of concentration. And it's almost a similar feeling that I've had is like running in the middle of a marathon or when you're really feeling it in a yoga class. And there is this purity 
of concentration and centeredness and being and you have compartmentalized the rest of the world um, into the purity and the focus of one moment and you're you're just kind of it's muscle memory almost mm. and I mean that on in like a oh god um uh, I mean that it's going to sound really wanky it, it, it almost in like a in, a in a mental way as well as a physical way mm. you are in the groove you are I'm sure it's like what sportsmen I mean I've been watching Wimbledon at the moment and it's just bloody incredible yeah it's like and they're so when you watch Federer or Nadal or something and they're in the purity of their mm. moment and they know their craft so well and it's fleeting and, it, and you lose it and um you know, it's you get distracted sometimes, and you, you the voices in your head start to go. But if you're in the middle of a scene on camera or on stage, sometimes you hit that sweet spot. I mean, mm. you'd know about that with musicians and when all yeah. the musicians you talk to. Totally. Yeah. And I think it's you know, I like you can get it when I'm running or doing yoga. If I'm painting, sometimes, and then sometimes also at work. You know, even when I'm interviewing people, I quite like like you say that focus, and it's almost sort of meditative that you're yeah. just. There is nothing else going on, and it's it is. A but yeah, joy. you've got someone talking to you in your ear, right? You've got a producer talking often, in your yeah. ear, often, and that would like throw someone like me. It's like I've got to listen to someone talking into my ear. I've got to remain engaged. I'm half pet keeping an eye on the audience, and making sure I'm not losing them. I mean, that's you in your zen, you know, state mm. um, in the middle of you know your, your heightened moment of what you do. So it's that kind of like. Uh, it's intan it's intangible it's a sensation mm. yeah it's a, but it's a joy because i think you know some people won't have experienced that and i find that a massive shame you know maybe and it does take a long time to get to that point it sure. took me ages to get to that point at work where i felt comfy enough to fully submerge myself into that feeling and like let go almost or surrender to it yeah. and i think some people, if they are held back in life by circumstance or confidence, it can be tricky to ever have that experience. And it, sure. And it does, I guess, just take a bit of time and practice. Yeah, and you and don't discipline. always get it. You know, sometimes yeah. you're like, oh my God, where is that feeling? It's yeah. not feeling right right now. I can't. And then if you're like me, you beat yourself up. And yeah. you're like, oh God, what? it's me. What am I not doing right? I'm like, yeah, I mean, every job is slightly different and what it requires of you is slightly different. But dancing and sort of you know my three years theatre training because that's why it was such a joy to go back to the Theatre Royal Haymarket you know I am I do consider myself in my heart a stage actor and it's like like just three years of them really giving us a bloody hard time mm. <laughs> don't think about it too much yeah you can't because that's I guess when you do become less focused if you start to overcomplicate it you just need to go with it. and it is a very sort of physical and mental yeah. combination of being in that moment it's a visceral thing it is yeah. a visceral thing so being an actress, I would imagine, can have very scary moments. For some people, sort of stepping onto a stage or being on a set is like their absolute worst nightmare. Mm. Absolutely terrifying. Sure. But you quite quickly realised that you could mitigate those nerves because of that enjoyment and because of that sweet spot. Yeah. I mean, I have nerves and I think nerves are healthy because mm. nerves show that you care. Yeah. So I think anything in life that scares you a bit is worth doing. Um, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it, right? Is Absolutely. Like, is like the saying. So I think nerves are healthy, but it's that line between like a healthy concern and yeah, letting it take over. And it, but it could be anything. I mean, but how yeah, do you stop daily... that? How do you stop it tipping over into, I'm now shit scared and I actually can't move? <laughs> <laughs> because I've definitely, I've been there. 
Like Press and I and Venus last year. Yeah, yeah there you go. Like October. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> breathing exercises. Fun. Yes. The simple, the breathing. <laughs> breathing exercises. Mm. And also, oh God, I don't know. It's like, what's the worst that can happen? It's, um, the, the truth of the matter is you are going to mess up now and then. Yeah. In order to learn, you have to make mistakes. I know that sounds like a really trite thing to say. It's so true. But though. it's true. I mean, you know, you're a mum. So yeah. that you, you know, you understand that mm-hmm. that is what you have to try and communicate to children. Of course. It's okay to mess up because you learn and you grow. There's an, a playwright called Edward Albee who uh, has a great a great quotation that I love, which to paraphrase is, if you're willing to fail interestingly, then you will ultimately succeed interestingly. Mm. And I don't know, in this, sometimes I feel like um, in this, you know, modern social media era, we're too quick to point out when people haven't quite succeeded at something. Always, I hate it. As opposed to, there's a learning curve there. And because we're so exposed now in how quick our world is and technology and instantaneously the information we know about each other, it's like there's sort of, maybe it's even more scary, like not quite getting something right you know it's like you're experimenting with your style and your fashion and how you dress and then you're bombarded if you maybe you know I'm talking like as a teenager now or something yeah like you're trying to find your style you're trying to find your identity and then you get lambasted I know I hate that and it's the same for me recently it's kind of like with writing my movie in darkness it's like I mean I started writing that nine years ago and I finished it about you know, at least four years ago. And I'm a very different person to who I was four years ago. And, you know, didn't um, I learned so much that if I'd started writing that movie again tomorrow, I'd have written a completely different movie. Yeah. But it's like you have to explore your skill set, challenge yourself, try and work and grow. And I think sometimes we don't give enough, like, kudos to other people for just, like, the, trying. Yeah, for showing up. For showing up. I totally agree because, you know, and I do think this weird you know social media and it, it you know I'm not blaming it because I like social media but, sure, it, but it has it, its plus it, it has its huge pluses absolutely but I think as you say it highlights this sort of weird non-existent perfection yeah. which then that everyone else is paranoid that everyone else is completed absolutely it, it, yeah. and then everyone assumes that oh my god I'm fallible but nobody else is everyone else is just you know coasting along having a great time and it's all looking gorgeous because they're seeing these little perfect snapshots Mm. and we're not giving ourselves the space and the room to cock up and you know I'm certainly very open about my own mistakes Mm. and um, mishaps and failures because I don't want them to become this weird dark shady monster over here that I try and block out sure then rears its head in bad moments I want to embrace them and go yeah, I did that, that and that, and it wasn't great, and I might not do that today, but yeah. I learned so much, and we forget that richness that comes from the shit bits. Yeah. Completely. I, babe, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't mm. agree with you more. I'm like, <laughs> on a really simple level, it's like, I've been trying to perfect like poaching eggs at the moment, because <laughs> I've just always depended on other people to poach my eggs, right? Whether it was when I was a kid, whether it was my parents, mm. or it was, you know, it's whatever, you know, it's like whoever's cooking, friends, you know, boyfriend, whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm 36 years old. I need to be able to poach an egg, right? There were some real disasters mm. in the last handful of weeks. It's hard. <laughs> that vortex of water. It's hard. That's exactly the point. Yeah. It, it get, they've been very hard. <laughs> <laughs> Almost boiled. Yeah. yeah. And you Google it. And I'm there standing in my kitchen, like, 
uh, YouTubing, you know, the perfect poached perfect egg. egg. And I'm swirling the water or I'm trying the vinegar or I'm not or how you drop it in and mm. everything. And is it is it one minute? Is it like, is it like two? Is it? And it's like... <laughs> It's been embarrassing, yeah. babe. <laughs> but I like this metaphor for life. But I did it. I did the first. You did it. I did the perf. I did the first one that was right, exact right consistency mm. last week. That mm. only took me like two months. But three look months. what you learned from all the cock ups. <laughs> look at all that rich <laughs> learning from all of those hard boiled eggs and a lot of uh, inedible eggs that mm. um, yeah ended, ended up in the dog bowl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Acting to a lot of people will seem, I guess, very awkward. Like, you know, even when I watch films now, if I see someone doing a sex scene or having to cry on camera or scream hysterically, my first thought is, oh my God, that must have been so embarrassing to do. In my sort of naivety and lack of understanding. Mm. Is there an awkwardness with moments like that in acting? Or are you able to just see it as in, I'm in work mode and this is what I need to do? Yeah, I mean, it does. It depends on the situation. But yeah, there is a real vulnerability when it comes to crying scenes I'm always scared that I'm not going to get there I had a really interesting um, experience when I was on the Tudors quite early in my camera career I kind of view the Tudors as like my camera apprenticeship because it was my first like big camera job and yeah. it was two years two seasons and I'd done very like I'd done limited you know stuff um, on, on, on screen up to that point so that was really where I um, you know really cut my teeth and my camera technique and stuff and I remember there's this scene where I was getting out of a carriage and um, I was meant to be like slamming the door on the carriage I was in it with Nick Dunning he was playing my father and I meant to cry and keep walking along the carriage and you know that's a lot of moving parts like literally so uh, for the focus puller and the camera crew getting in the right position um, on the steady cam, making sure that they keep me in focus as I get out of the carriage and I walk along the horse and that my performance was, um, you know, and I was trying to cry. I was really, you know, I'd drunk a lot of water. I'd stayed hydrated. And I'd done like four or five takes where I was crying for real. I was in it emotionally. Yeah. And then they were like, no, we haven't got it. So we, I did it another two or three times. And I had to, inverted commas, you know, physically feign crying. I mean, I, w I was still feeling the residue of the emotion, but actual real tears weren't pouring out of my eye sockets anymore. And then the director told me at the end, oh, yeah, we're going to lose one of those last takes. And I was beside myself because mm. I was like, but the truth of where I was, was the truth of really feeling that pain. Anne Boleyn's pain was in that first, you know, three, four takes. And he was like, no, it's all right. The camera saw it. And I, and I was like, I didn't really. I was like, yeah, but I didn't feel He's like, it doesn't matter. The camera saw it. Mm. And then I had this really interesting experience. Then when I watched that episode, you know, so here I am, an actress in my early 20s, still quite green, still quite fresh and naive. And when I watched the show, you know, he was right. And I understand that now as someone who's also worked on the other side of the camera, helps 
you know, develop stuff and watch his other actors do their thing. What you're necessarily feeling inside in the acting skill set is if the camera doesn't see it, the audience don't feel it. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes the take that feels the best for the actor, that feels like it has the purity of emotion... Mm. I mean, you can call it indulgence or whatever you want to call it. I think that's a bit of a negative hard term. But the point is, it's what the camera sees and therefore what the audience sees. So the Mm. take that feels right for the actor is not always the take that feels right for the audience. And you have to just let go of that. And and you have to let go of that. But in answer to your question about vulnerability, let's just try and get yourself there emotionally. And then you have to trust your director or whatever in the edit. On stage, you have full autonomy. So, I mean, you really... That's why it is the actor's medium. And when it comes to sex scenes or stuffing on camera, yeah, I mean, they are a bit awkward. Sometimes they're more awkward if you know your co-star well. Like really? when I Yeah, when I've done sex scenes, it's the guys that I know that are my friends mm. that it's harder to <laughs> do it with because your suspension of disbelief is not is harder to find. Yeah. To look at them and see a, another character. Whereas if it's someone you don't know very well at all, you can just project the character onto them. Mm. So I knew Tom Ellis quite well when I did a sex scene with him in the fades. That was awkward. (laughs) (laughs) But weirdly, sex, people don't realise, you know, there's like, you know, they do closed sets and everything, but there's got like, there's four, there's four other people, five other people normally in the room. There's the sound recordist, there's the camera guy, there's, you know, a first AD with probably his back turned to you and the director. And, you know, it's that like, they're not sexy situations. And actually, if anything, it's where my sort of like, uh, dancing training yeah because it's choreography it's like put your arm here Mm. so that the camera can get the angle on his face under your arm and make sure that when you turn that you're not too high because then you'll go out of frame and they're actually like physical dances to get a sex scene yeah that's a good way of thinking about it for sure can you be completely inhibition free as an actor can you kind of stop those weird social norms or things that we're indoctrinated to think are awkward can you park them completely to be in that zone when the magic's happening yeah sometimes and can you apply that to sometimes yes sometimes no right you aim for the target sometimes you miss it yeah it goes back to sort of that imperfection that we all embody so can you apply that to everyday life? Can, or is I it a switch? I wish. Like, really I, no, no, you, I, you should. Yeah. You absolutely. But it's a work switch that you turn on. You absolutely should. Mm. Yeah. How, that's, that's what I find so interesting about, and I guess people might assume the same of me because I can be very confident when I'm at work because I'm in that moment and I enjoy what I'm doing so sure. much. But not always in real life. True. I can be very shy and feel very nervous yeah. in social situations, especially big situations yeah. where there's lots of people like parties. I'm never comfortable. So it is perhaps that kind of switching on that you know you're in a different headspace and you're in a, a 100%. Work zone. No, I, mm. I completely identify with mm. what you're saying there. And people assume that you're confident just because uh, A, you're good at your job or hopefully or mm. um or or yeah I mean I'm ag- I agree with you sometimes you have to dig so deep every day just to like get through the day yeah and feel confident and people say oh you're a very confident very strong woman and you like to play strong women and I'm like oh god guys please don't reduce it like that mm. it's like I I I try and play 
women that are similar to how I feel, which is terrified on a day-to-day basis that I'm messing everything up and that I can't handle my own swings of emotions. And I'm just trying to like grapple my way through it as, you know, with some kind of determination as well that I can muster on that particular day. It's mm. like digging deep for the courage. It's mm. like, cause it's not interesting to watch people who don't have flaws or foibles or fears. No, I completely agree. I mean, that's not good drama. You but know? I really love what you just explained there because um, it's a very bespoke thing how you would choose a job anyway in life, but certainly a role that you're going to play and one that you're going to be, you know, inhabiting for, for some time. And I really like the fact that your choice, I guess, almost comes down to something you're trying to figure out in life that you can then channel in a different way through a character. You've nailed it. That's wow, exactly that's what I'm so doing. Cool. I am cathartic. Well, I realised a few years ago that, um, and I've said it only a couple of times in interviews recently, but I finally worked it out. You know, it's like I am cathartically venting my fears and issues with the world through acting. Mm. I'm like, and so when people say, you know, what do you want people to take away from this story? Or what did you intend for people to? And I'm like, that's not my business. The way you read or you listen to music and how you interpret that song or that, that those characters in that novel, that's for you. I'm doing it quite selfishly. Yeah. For me, my um, art or craft is probably a better word, but my craft is an internal process without within me that helps me live with myself on a day-to-day basis and explore this beautiful joyful also terrifying and scary sometimes dark world that we live in mm. if wow. that's not too profound for you no. for 11 30 in not. the morning this is the sort of shit I like <laughs> um what I love is that a lot of people will see you in huge movies and tv shows like the Tudors like Hunger Games like being on stage in amazing plays and assume that to be in that position you would be an extremely strong character that feels absolutely 100% about where they're going in life and confident with all matters of life and of course that's never true you know none of us feel like that but we make so many assumptions when we see people on on screen when we see people in the street we we look and we assume they've got it all sorted why do I feel so lost and so scared and I think that's really interesting for people to hear that you do have that fear of life like everybody else does. 100%. Yeah. And that is how I process it. People sometimes say, oh, you know, Nat, you're very confident or, you know, you're very opinionated. It's just, you know, there's a few things I don't like, you know. I don't like bullies. Yeah. And I don't, I don't like, <laughs> no one does, but I, I, I get hot under the collar when I see injustices, yeah. you know, and um, that sort of triggers me. And, you know... I, and I genuinely believe in equality. It doesn't matter whether you call it, you know, feminism or whatever you want to call it. And I'm not just even talking between the genders. I'm, you know, I'm just, I believe in equality and I, and I, and I don't like bullies. And uh, sometimes I feel that you get misinterpreted or called some bad names just for trying to point out to other people where they are just making assumptions and taking things you said out of context. Mm, and that's frustrating. It's tiring. And I know you would have had your own version yeah. of that. <laughs> it's like people are going to think what they're going to think and yeah. they're going to print or say what they want to say. Mm. You Sometimes you have to dig really deep, deep to know what your centre is and know that people who really know you and really care, care and understand that you are like just like a soft, 
you know scared human being like everyone else mm. on this planet you're just trying to do the best you you can yeah and you can still be soft and scared and be you know passionate and emphatic about certain subjects, subjects. out there yeah they're, they're two different things you know yeah they're, yeah, they're not mutually ex- exactly yeah, not mutually because exclusive. often we can really chew on those big issues in life that you know, do trigger us and we can be very passionate and stand up and be very vocal. But often for most of us, it's the small nuances in life that we find trickier. It's the day-to-day stuff. It's just human emotion. They're the things that we might not be so vocal about because we haven't figured those out yet. We can be very strongly opinionated and say, yes, I don't agree with bullying, you know, inequality, but actually it's the daily stuff that we're all constantly ruminating on and trying to figure out still. It's those bits that are trickier. Completely. It's like a scaled down version of that because I think what, as I get older, now I'm, now I'm getting like in my thirties, what I'm realizing, which I didn't understand when I was younger was that when people give you advice um, or when people comment this is true of my my world professionally and it's something you have to then as you were saying take something professional and also apply it to the personal people are looking through the world through their own lens they're mm-hmm. looking at the, th- at the world through their own experiences so they might assume or believe something about other people you or other people because it's informed by their own personal experiences yeah. and so increasingly I'm coming around to like understanding that I have to be more compassionate with other people and with myself Mm. Um, and patient because patience isn't my great forte as the poached egg egg proves (laughs) (laughs) that wonderful metaphor the poached egg being used yet again um, um, but it's like I just think if we were all I think we we just sprinkle a little bit more compassion on the day to what you're saying like on the school run yeah like you know in the queue for the coffee at the bakery just sprinkle a little bit more of like that's what I'm trying to do increasingly you know and from those moments where you are using certain characters that you've sought out or that have you know landed in your life that you are using to cathartically work through things that you're trying to understand better in life what have you learned from those characters what have you sort of taken from from those experiences has there been one character where you've really walked away and gone wow I've really learned that about myself or life from that character well, that's a really interesting question you know I've played the right role at the right time at different periods in my life and I don't always agree with or like my characters you know actions picnic at hanging rock that is coming out at the moment yeah that is out on the bbc like hester appleyard that i play there that's a role that i ultimately after about three and a half months of playing her i started to feel uncomfortable i didn't really there was a lot of things about her that i didn't uh i i was having to dig really deep with to identify with her that's truly the secret of acting is you're trying to find the humanity in the characters, even the characters that do unsavory of or not nice stuff. And sometimes that can jar with your real personality. And I don't really know. It's all a bit mystical, you mm. know, to do with like the, the, the electrical pathways that are going through your brain or whatever. But it's like sometimes it can make you uncomfortable, but you find a way of qualifying it because you're, that's how you embody the role. I think what I've realized is in that way, and I've also played like psychopaths, like <laughs> like Moriarty on <laughs> Elementary, who is just a sociopath. Um, but it's like people don't think that they're monsters and people don't mean 
to be bad or mad or they think that they have some right or qualification to say or do what they're doing to other people and again it's this idea of empathy of being intrigued about other people's motivations mm. and not reducing them to a two second soundbite does that make yeah, sense of course and I guess that internally makes you perhaps look at your own actions or yeah. times when you, you know we've all got regrets or things we would have done differently sure. and you can root back to the whys like why did I do yeah. that what triggered that response and perhaps playing those characters allows you to tap into that more yeah you make mistakes in order to grow that is how you grow and it's that's painful and I've played characters that have done that and I've done it in my own life. Mm. And I, I feel like maybe we're not told that young enough. No. How often we're going to mess up in order to ultimately be wiser. Yeah. Or well, there you are in other cultures. Yeah. I think maybe in Western culture we don't, you know, primarily in like Asian culture mm. and Indian, you know, but sort of whether you're talking Buddhist elements or but whatever. I feel like in other cultures they're clearer about that. I completely agree. And I do think it is a problem. And maybe predominantly with girls, I don't know. No, I just feel yeah. like there's a lot of pressure around young girls to be a certain way. Sure. And that freedom is lost to A, just B, and B, make mistakes and sure. learn. Because like, like you say, you know, I certainly, as I've got older, have realised the worth in those tough times. And like really shit times where in the moment I thought, not going to get over this, not going to recover, don't see the point of it. Pointless mm. part of my life with nothing coming out of it and that sort of cliche silver lining weirdly appears it could be years down the line sure where that bad decision or mistake makes sense and there lies the lesson but we don't sometimes it takes years for you to realize what that lesson was and it's hard it's not easy but it's good no and it's that it's that old thing of like what doesn't break you makes you stronger but then you also have to catch yourself the other end of that is if you're giving criticism or you're, you know, slagging someone off or like pulling down their attempts. You have to, sometimes you have to catch yourself and go, what is it within myself that I'm threatened completely by what this other person is doing? Mm. If before you're about to write that negative comment on, you know, Facebook or Instagram, like just catch yourself mm. and go, or you're bitching about something with a gla- with a friend with a glass of wine. It's rarely about that person. It's not about that person. Mm. It's about you. Mm. And you have to catch yourself and a good friend will like say, yes, darling, of course, and support you and have a sip of wine with you. And a really good friend will go, well, hang on a minute. Mm. This is deeper than you, what you're, you think. Come yeah. on, why are you at, responding like this? It's the tougher option to do that. It but is. the better one. But the better one. Yeah. So it, it works on both sides. It's, and you're right. I mean, I do some work with Childline and, and like the figures for anxiety, just young female. It's crazy. Anxiety, self-harm. And, and depression in our younger generation. It is awful. And I think you're right. It is about us all remembering that it's A-OK to make mistakes and we're all going to. It's a fact. Like, no one is going to be immune to that. And you wouldn't want to be, truly, no. because you don't have a full textured life. And no. I genuinely, There's no expansiveness to that. I think, you know, the people, the reason people watch, you know, Game of Thrones or hopefully you know picnic at hanging rock or reread their favorite novel is the same reason why I do my job because they can like then vent these emotions Mm. that maybe in their day-to-day life they can't do it storytelling is our human way 
and listening to music but I clar- I you know which I know is a, a, a field that you're much more knowledgeable on than I am but it's like to me music is, sto- is storytelling it's mm. just another form of storytelling and that's why we respond so much to music and it's why we respond so much to all our different forms of storytelling because it's our way that we cathartically process what the world around us it's so true and I think I've overlooked that because of course I love going to the cinema more than anything and I love watching a good box set or show but I do overlook the importance of it because I'm just sort of in the moment enjoying it but you're so right it is an opportunity to experience you know feelings that we may have had in the past or that we're harboring presently that we can kind of process that on another level, a sort of subconscious level yeah. by watching something. Why had I never thought of that before? And then you shake it, and then hopefully you shake it out yeah. and move on. Yeah, exactly, because you have you know, to. You have yeah. to go through that emotion. You can't suppress it. No, we've all done that contained. thing where, you know, you're really mad and you get and you've had the argument and so you get in the car and you play some kind of music really loud and you have a good out of keys yeah. sing song and, you know. <laughs> and, then, and then you find that it's... A, Sided, yeah. and you can apply that to a whole range of emotions. You know, the joy of being in the heady joy of being in love, or you know, the, the grieving something, letting something go, whether it's you know, a job interview, or you know, a lover, or a, a friend, or I mean. That's what it does to me. And that's why I kind of know in some way, shape or form, I'm never going to stop doing it. I might not always, I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen in life? I know I won't always necessarily always be an actor or maybe I'll try and write again or maybe I'll just develop stuff or maybe I'll like, you know, get my wish and finally present time team and it's like <laughs> you know it's like and you know just do history documentaries mm. which I would also love um which is but it's it's storytelling storytelling still. it's storytelling mm. so I know that in one way shape or form I will always tell stories it's so important you know again looking at other cultures and it might not even be that far away from us but you know like that sort of lovely Irish storytelling. It is really seeped in certain cultures and we've maybe lost that a bit in day-to-day life in the modern world where people just do either reminisce, get nostalgic or share stories and the importance of that and passing it through generations and the learning from that as well as it being on TV but just in everyday life. Again, Mm. I'd sort of... This chat is really hitting home to me that that's important, (laughs) Natalie. Um, Looking at your character choices over the years who has been the most draining character for you to play emotionally which one has kind of left you a little bit spent um Hester Appleyard did take it out of really? me um do you know what it is um without, <laughs> without going too dark um one or two times I've played women that are going to die and um you know, I, uh, a few years back, I did a play called After Miss Julie, and um, which is Patrick Marber's like reimagining of um, of um, Strindberg play, Miss Julie. And when I left the stage every night, um, she's going off to kill herself. And and obviously, Anne Boleyn um, was incarcerated at the end, and I'd submerged myself in all her all the historical recapping of that. And it's it's looking. I think like almost the greatest, the um, most epic thing profound thing that an actor can do is play a character that is looking at their own mortality mm. squarely in the face because we're quite insulated from it in a day-to-day we try not to think about of, it yeah I mean we shouldn't be because yeah. there's a lot of stuff happening in the world but like you said it's the day-to-day trivia of, of yeah we're just trying to raise a family and get on with your life that's so important but we do like push it to the side and so uh, for an actor to play um facing mortality 
I think that's the one that sometimes the residue sits with you a bit and it takes a while to shake it off. Because like you say, we do our damnedest not to think about it at all Mm. in real life. So how do you stop that intense emotion and subject matter that you wouldn't necessarily be naturally thinking about day to day? How do you stop that spilling over into your normal life? Uh, get out and you know walk the dog, see friends, do be in the sunshine, have a laugh. It's really interesting. I <laughs> when I bumped into you in the bakery a few weeks ago, mm. and I was like, oh my god, and I'm emailing um um, I, and I was like, oh my god, I'm interviewing Tori Amos. Give me some tips on how to <laughs> on how to how to interview a great from the music industry. <laughs> and you were like, you were very reassuring to me. Fern Cotton's top tips on how to, <laughs> God, I don't know how to interview famous, <laughs> famous musical artists. But, um, you know, that's something that Tori said to me. She uh, phrased it in a different way. She said, um, you know, you have to give the muses back. Mm. The muses that inspire you is the way she described it. She was like, because you summon them. And, you know, typical amazing Tori Amos, like she was talking in those sort of gland, like sorceress terms, that mm. sort of supernatural spirits of the inspiration coming from this this plane that transcends our day-to-day physical world. But she's like, you draw on them. And she was talking about how she gets inspired by them and they come and, you know, fill her for her live performances but then she was making it very clear that you have to give those spirits back Mm. because if you carry them they eat into your life and she said was you know you know it's like famously people try and counter that energy that they've assumed that they've soaked up with either you know drugs or alcohol or and some other kind kind of addictive behavioral pattern and you have to let them go and you have to give it back and I was like I would never have worded it like that Mm. but I emotionally I emotionally responded to what she was saying because I I I understood so do you think there is an element you know because this is something that I ponder about a lot when I watch a great musician or like when I saw you on stage um and sometimes a teeny bit with if I'm writing that there feels like it is something exterior, like you are channeling something else. Sure. And it might not be you drawing on past emotion, because I'm sure that you do have to do that when acting, that you are thinking of when you felt sad or when you felt lost or when you felt jubilation, but also that it is coming from... It's imagination. It's a no, magic. It's in the, somewhere else. Yeah, because it's imagination. Mm. It is about... You can't... You can, Obviously, you can bring your emotional grammar of what you've experienced, but it's impossible for an actor, especially an actor like in, you know, my age, as opposed to the Maggie Smiths of the world. I haven't experienced every type of, you know, the emotion or the gambit of... You know, maybe it's certain things that I haven't experienced yet, like losing someone very close to me, you know, um, to death or something. It's like there are elements that you do have to imagine. I don't know with you and your writing, it's the it's the same thing. You have to fill in fill in the gaps. It's like you've got the stepping stones, but you have to fill in the detail from an, another area. And I think I mean, I mean, the brain's an amazing thing. I love listening to you know mm. like. I love listening to podcasts that sort of like look at the chemistry of the brain because I mean there's so much we don't understand about so much. how we do what we do and also and artistic temperaments specifically. Yeah, creativity because it is this sort of bizarre inexplicable thing that you know for people that are exceedingly good at what they do yourself, you know, brilliant musicians on stage. It does seem like they're in the right headspace or spiritually open, however you want to phrase it, that they can pull in some sort of magic from somewhere and then 
put it into what they're doing and that is and I have an no idea thing. I have no idea what it is yeah. and I'm just grateful when it hits yeah because I yeah. read this brilliant book actually by Elizabeth Gilbert called Big Magic and it right. sort of talks about that about you know how we're all creating even if you're not you know Dave Grohl or Tori Amos or mm. yourself you know we're all creating something whether it be you're baking a cake sure. or you've written down a little poem that you've thought up in your head or whatever and and where that comes from and almost being really open to it. And sometimes you can feel an idea coming. It could even be just an idea of something you want to tell your partner, like, oh, I've had this great idea that we should go and do this or mm. a friend. You know, I've had this great idea that we should experience this together. And unless you grab that moment quickly and run with it, it will go and it might go to someone else. Or it is like Tori said, perhaps on this other plane where someone else is going to grab that thing. So you've got to literally grab it and take it with you and and go. There's like an urgency behind it almost. Do I you, agree. Do you feel that? Yeah, and I think we just, you know, I agree with you, whether it's jewellery making or gardening or cooking. I think, so, I know I'm speaking for myself and my friends who I love very much, You, everyone's so busy and mm. there's work and there's kids and there's life and it's like but if we could all just like indulge as you said and it, it, and also because it's a muscle that creative part of your brain is a muscle so I I'm fully aware that I live a luxurious life in so far as when I go to work I can expand that part of my brain that takes me so much out of my day-to-day -day life but it would but people can do like you're saying people can do that in smaller yeah, ways totally. less less epic ways mm, I find um, I have to quite a lot you yeah. know I, like with work like you I'm really lucky that I get to flex that muscle and enjoy that expansion and learning but when it is really busy and there's kids coming in and out of the house I have a desire and like a need to create mm. like every day if I don't I feel really flat by the end of the day That's it's fascinating. just been a coasting sort of day or if I haven't slept well and I don't have the energy to do it so if it is busy I do find little tiny ways it might be drawing with my kids it might be baking a cake I've, I've just remembered I baked a cake earlier that I haven't offered you a slice of <laughs> um, and or it might be you know even as you know banal as it is to sort of tidy my house up so it looks nice no, but creating a scene or like I have to do that in the day otherwise yeah. like I do feel my well-being is somewhat punched, you know, if I don't get that experience in the day. Yeah, and it's rewarding. It right? is. It's, it is. It's rewarding. Do you think you'd be able to deal without having that outlet that you do so often get to play around with? No, mm. I don't know who I'd be. Mm. I just, um, no, I really, I really, I really don't. <laughs> It's a silly job, isn't it, really? Getting to know yourself by playing other people. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so interesting that that's what it... That's it's the crux of it. It's a contradiction, mm. but it is the contradiction that makes it that makes it so. Natalie, that was so much fun. I just I, enjoyed that brilliant roller coaster of a chat. Thank you, Fern. I really... Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I'll see you at the bakery soon for a coffee. <laughs> Yeah, we won't get quite so deep. No, just, no. In the, in the three, over flat in white. The, in the, over the flat white in the three minutes we got to kiss and hug each other and then like get out and on with the day. You'll have the kids and I'll have the dog. It'll be a, yeah. chaos. <laughs> oh, what an absolute dream to chat to Natalie. Thank you so much to Natalie for her time, her energy and indeed her honesty as well. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, why not write us a review on Apple Podcasts? That really helps others find the show and lets me know what you're enjoying about the series. So I'd massively appreciate it. Thank you. Next week, we have another live episode of Happy Place with an audience and the brilliant Bryony Gordon. I can't tell you how much running has changed my life. Like running has got me sober. It's given me everything back. Get that interview as soon as it's available when you subscribe. It's free to do so on any number of apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and more. All you need to do is search for Happy Place and hit subscribe. A massive thanks to the brilliant Natalie Dormer, our producer Matt Hill at Rethink Audio and to you, amazing lot, for listening. Thank you. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.